Well, do you hope to thrive in the year 2021? Are you out there? <laughs> Maybe we ought to put up the lights, see if I can see anybody out there. But I mean, I, I can just preach to those at home. You know, I can do that. I, I did that for a while. <clears throat> Not as exciting for me. And so, are you hoping to have a good 2021? All right. Well, that's a little bit better. I want to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Let me tell you sort of what's coming uh, during this year as we uh, unfold our mission statement that we are building lives that matter by teaching people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus. Last year, we looked at trust all year long. year before that, loving and knowing Christ as we went through the book of Matthew. This year, at least for the first few months, we're going to be concentrating on what it means to follow Jesus Christ. I mean, you've heard the phrase before, I'm a Christ follower. You used to say I'm a Christian. Before that, maybe it was born again. Before that, it was all kinds of things that we would call ourselves, that everything seems to be changing, and the, the words have different meanings, and now we're calling ourselves Christ followers. What, what does that mean to follow Christ? So we'll be looking at five messages on Thrive, get things started. We'll be looking at why we ought to follow Jesus, and then how to do it as well. One before the other, but nevertheless, we're going to be looking at both of those here the first half of this year. And so as we turn to Philippians chapter 3, really what I want to establish this morning is a little rebooting. You know, when I don't know if you really call it that or not, but when you have your phone, for example, your iPad, your computer, that freezes up, just won't do right. My iPad blinks all the time, you know, just keeps blinking on me, and I'm thinking, what is going on? So somebody always tells me, you need to cut it off and cut it back on, kind of reboot things. Then if that doesn't work, you take the phone and you bang it on the desk or something and, you know, throw it in the toilet or something. I don't know, but, you know, that's kind of the first thing you do. And so we've had a rough 2020, at least as a nation and, I might add, as a world. And so, as we look at 2021, it would be easy, but yet I would be just really lying to you if I said I can guarantee the world is just going to have a great 2021. Nobody knows that. No one can control your circumstances or mine. It just can't happen. In fact, the only one that can control that is God himself. And so I'm not going to say that the world's going to have a great 2021, but I will say this. If you look at this message today and the next four, you can have a great 2021. That may not be that the rest of the world does. It may be that your circumstances either change a little bit one way or the other, but it's not so much our circumstances. Now, listen to me very carefully. If you are depending upon the pursuit of happiness, then technically, by definition, you're looking at happenstance. Something happens good, you're glad. Something happens bad, you're sad. But Paul, in this letter to the church at Philippi, was talking here about joy. In fact, that, that is the key word to this entire book, the word joy. 
And joy does not depend upon the outward circumstances, but joy depends upon the condition of the heart and how we respond to God and how we respond to the circumstances of life. And so as we're looking at this, Paul is taking sort of inventory of his life. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi from prison. And as he was writing this, he was writing to a church where he had been before. He had ministered there before. They knew him very, very well. And they really took stock of what he had to say. And they really listened intently. And he says, look, uh, four chapters, and he didn't divide up the chapters, by the way, that came later. But basically, four chapters emphasize four different things. He says, four things can really steal your joy. Now think about it for just a moment. What are the four things do we allow to steal our joy? Well, one of them, obviously, is problems. We see 2020 filled with problems, and therefore, sometimes our joy, we allowed at least that to steal our joy. So problems, people is number two. No one can steal your joy like another person, especially if you love them. Number three, we find our passions make a difference in chapter three. We'll be looking at that today. And then in chapter four, the lack of peace, uh, Philippians 4, 7, the lack of peace in our life can cause us to lose our joy. And so how do we combat that, especially in our area of passions and worship? You know, it just seems like to me, especially last year, I just came back over and over and over again, kind of the same theme of trusting Christ. And as I did that, I, it just seemed like the Bible just took on uh, a new meaning for me, and every passage seemed to be challenging the lordship of Christ in our life. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to be looking at that again, because as we start the new year, what your passion is, is going to determine, be the greatest determination of, determinant of the joy that you have in life and how you respond to what's going on around you. Now, as we open up this passage in chapter 3, I'll start reading, give us a little background, uh, verse 3, here in just a moment. But as we're looking at this, we see three key words that Paul really centers on. I count, I forget, and I press. So let's read it. It says in verse 3, chapter 3, For we are the circumcision, meaning the Jewish people, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now he's saying, if you want confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for more confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Usually that means, when you say that, he's a member of the court system, the Sanhedrin. And he says, to the law, as a Pharisee, uh, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Before he was saved, he was the, one of the greatest persecutors of the church in, in, in its embryonic stage. He says, to the righteousness under the law, blameless. If you're just counting the law, the do's and the don'ts, people would consider me as blameless. But whatever gain I had, and man, he had it made. In a way, he says, I count those things but loss for the excellencies, or as this version put it, the loss for the sake of Christ. Now, Paul had a lot of things going on, but he's taking an account of where he is in life. In fact, look with me in verse 7. He says, as I counted as a loss for Christ's sake. And so he's taken an inventory of his life. As he's looking at this, particularly at the beginning of this passage, we see that Paul is really using business principles or 
Um, you, might, you might say, looking at the gains and the losses of life. One of the things when I was reading this passage this time around, I noticed something that really combated some of the things that I've even said before. And one of them, <clears throat> excuse me about the voice, I didn't preach last week. You know, I got to get back in shape. You know what I'm saying? Um, but um, one of the things I noticed in this passage is that I've always said, you don't really look at it and say what is in it for me and my relationship with God. But that's exactly what he's doing. He says, if you want to know what's in it for me, he said, let me tell you, I count all those things as loss. I, I had fame. I had some glory. I was a persecutor of the church. He probably had money. He was a Roman citizen. A lot of Jewish people were not Roman citizens. So he had a lot of things going for him. And he says, I'm putting all those things aside that I might gain Christ. He's taking an accountant type of position, a business vernacular, business uh, verbiage of what we see here. Now, as you look at this, we ask ourselves the question then, where, where are we? Where are we right now in our spiritual life? On a 1 to 10 scale, where are we in our growth? On a 1 to 10 scale, where are we in our passion? That's really what this passage is really about, our passion for the Lord. And, and how does that reflect really in how we're seeing life right now? How we're responding to problems as it comes right now? After all, if we are seeking anything else, but Jesus Christ in our life. If, if we have another passion in our life, then all of a sudden we, we understand why we're not getting answers to prayer. We understand why we don't have peace in the midst of the storm as chapter 4 verse 7 <clears throat> speaks about. He says we, we understand why we don't have faith and trust in the midst of trials, courage under fire. The more mature you are in Christ, in fact, the better you can handle your problems. In fact, that's the message of this passage basically is this. The more we know Christ and the more we're like him, the greater our victory, joy, and peace, even in the midst of adversity. The church at Philippi was going through persecution. They were going through loss. They were going through things in life. And Paul says, look, I identify with you. I'm, I'm right here in prison. I understand. I'm taking inventory of my life. I'm asking you to do the same. Look in verse 9 or verse 8. It says, indeed, I count everything as loss of the surpassing worth, he's just repeating himself, of knowing Christ. Now he begins to explain. Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I might know him. Here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, church at Philippi, you're a bunch of Christians. I'm, I'm teaching Christians here. Those, they're already followers of Christ. And I'm not saying that the cross was not sufficient for my salvation. He already says that in verse 9. Not a righteousness of my own, but the imputed, theologically, the put in, the put in righteousness of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The very moment Paul received Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus when he was struck blind as after the Lord appeared to him, he received the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God came in to live inside of his heart just like it does your, it did, he did yours when you were saved. He says, that is not a righteousness of my own. It's purely by the grace of God. And that's finished. The cross is finished work in my life. But it's not finished. It is finished, but it's not finished. 
And you know what he's referring to here, perhaps. You're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, it's finished as far as the penalty of sin. I'm no longer going to be penalized for my sin. I know I can go to heaven. In fact, I know I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ lives in my heart and I was saved by grace. At the same time, I haven't been saved from the presence of sin. And I'm not growing. I'm not like Christ. I know that. I look at other Christians and see them being so much more mature and so much older in the Lord. And I know I have a ways to go. And that's what Paul is referring to. And he says, the more mature I am, the more I'm seeking Jesus Christ, the more I can handle what life is throwing my way. But then he says, it's not only that I need to count something, I need to forget something. As we read on, verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And it's talking here about the supernatural work, again, of the Holy Spirit. And sharing his sufferings. He says, Jesus Christ went to the cross for me. I'm going and taking my own cross to the rest of the world. And he says, by means possibly I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And this simply means by whatever avenue God takes me through in life, I know where I'm going to end up. But look in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, already perfect, but I press to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, and it's really a combination of two things, but one thing I do, forgetting. I forget. What is he forgetting? In Paul's case, he's really in the passage, he's forgetting his gains. He's saying, look, I've been very successful. I'm not I'm not looking to that success. I'm putting that aside, and I'm starting afresh and anew with Jesus Christ. And so there's several things in our life that we need to forget. First of all, we need to forget not in a way of, of having a memory lapse. That's not what it's talking about here. But when we're talking about forgetting something in the Bible, it means that it's not our memory failure, but the refusal to allow the past to adversely affect you. So what have you learned? What can you learn? Paul's past, he learned from that. I, I know that I was watching a uh, football game a few weeks ago, college football game, and this one team kept, kept throwing the same pass over and over, one time to the left, left, and the other time to the right. And they'd go back and forth and back and forth. And even the announcer saying, you know, it looked like to me they could have fixed that, adjusted for that in the halftime. They're not learning from any mistakes they're already making. They're just completing the same pass over and over and over again, not learning from what we do. You've heard the phrase before, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Paul says, look, we need to learn. We need to learn from our past. And sometimes we need to realize that we have sin in our life, that we fail in life. In fact, in a survey taken, 73% of successful people say that failure is a prerequisite for success. Why? Because there's certain things you've got to learn. What, what, what can you learn from your past? What can you learn from the past failures of your life? Maybe it is a business failure. Maybe it's a failure in school. Maybe it's a failure in a relationship. What can you gather from that? What can you learn from that? And then he says, he's talking about here, leaving the past. And what you do, you learn from what you, you do, so you won't do it again. But then you forget it in a sense that you do not allow those things in your past to affect your relationship with God and the joy that God has given you or offers you in the Christian life. What do we need to forget? Well, we need to forget our guilt. 
There's some people here right now, you're coming to church or you're not coming to church. People, people, you know, it's a strange thing. People stop watching church or coming to church when things really go bad because they, they just, they're upset with God. They just don't want to be confronted. Things are going bad. That's the time you need to draw even closer to God. God is drawing you. The goodness of God, the Bible says, leads us to him and leads to repentance. But we go through things in our life. This, this is what the Bible says about you. As a Christian, he says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Then Micah 7:19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What is it in your life you just can't forget? You say, but those wasted years, but you've got an eternity ahead of you. But those, those wasted influences of life, all of us can go back and look at regrets. Every one of us can go back and live in our regrets. Because even if we say, oh, if I'd only known, but the problem is you didn't know. So you couldn't make a difference in something that you didn't even know. But yet you carry around the guilt. Leave it behind in 2020. The grudges. You know, I, I'm convinced that, and I believe the Bible teaches this, that, and by the way, all these begin with G because I think it's easier to remember. Our grudges, forgiving other people is a very unnatural act. Because sometimes to forgive other people is to cast blame upon ourselves, and we don't want to do that. We fight guilt instead of allowing the cross of Jesus Christ to, conv to, to wipe away every sin from our life. We say, well, I know Jesus Christ has done that, but nevertheless, I feel this. I haven't given it up, and so therefore, I've got to cast the blame somewhere else so I don't feel so guilty. You see, all of us deal with guilt in different ways, and unless we come to the cross, we're going to deal with it in bad ways. Now, there's grudges because everyone here has been wrong in some way. There's not a person here that in some way or another, sometimes small, sometimes huge, sometimes businesses maybe have been taken away from you, uh, legally but yet unethically. Things bad have happened in your life. And so it's difficult to let go of those grudges. But then we pile on what we do. We pile on blame. You know, this deep down, maybe, you know, it's 50%, 60%, even maybe 90% your fault, but you blame someone else. And so that grudge, it just, it just piled on the grudges. And so now how can we forgive not only those people who have wronged us, but also forgive those people that we maybe have messed up, but we're blaming someone else. Listen, the sign of maturity, the really sign of maturity is to be able to take uh, the blame for the consequences of your own life, to, to live up to the, the, to the respond and respond to life in such a way that you know that you can own up to your own mistakes. The grudges, how do you do that? Well, what we need to understand is that every time we sin against God, we create a debt or a deficit in God's economy. If this is the line of perfection, we sin one time, we go below, below that line of perfection. That creates a debt. That's why Jesus in his um, Lord's Prayer says, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. You create a debt. Have you, anybody ever said this? You ever said this to somebody? Oh, you owe me. Or that guy owes me. 
Why would you say that? Well, he's wronged you in some way. Therefore, he owes you because he's created a debt. Now, what did Christ do with our debts, our debt to him, the deficit of sin? He nailed it to the cross, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. He nailed it to the cross. He went to the cross. He paid. Say that with me. Jesus paid for my debt. Say that with me. Jesus paid for my debt. Say it with me again. Jesus paid for my debt. Now, Paul is saying here that Christ, verses 9 and 10, Christ has done this for me. Therefore, I want to, do, in fact, look, you know, look in verse 12. He says it again. He says, I press on to make my own because Christ, Jesus, had made me his own. Jesus made us his own by dying on the cross for our sins. So how do we forgive someone else? We pay the debt. If it's a debt of reputation, you just say, well, God, this is my new reputation. It's not my character. I, I just pay the debt. I realize I I'm just going to pay it. If it's a real financial debt, then you just, you just forgive it. It's going to cost you. But you just let it go. You're never going to get the money anyway. If it's something in a family issue, you just pay the debt, let it go, and let it go. Just let it ride. There was a uh, song that Rascal Flatts, country music artist, did several years ago, and it's called I'm Moving On. He says, I've dealt with my ghost and I've faced all my demons, finally content with the past I regret. I found you, I, I found you find strength in your moments of weakness. For once, I'm at peace with myself. I've been burdened with blame, trapped in the past for too long. I'm moving on. So Paul says, I'm moving on. But he's moving on to something else. He's not just getting off a dead horse. He's getting off a dead horse to mount another horse. And he says, the passion of my life has changed. And this is really the crux of the whole passage. He says, I press. Look in verse 12. He says, I've already obtained, not that I've already obtained this, or already perfect, but I press on and then he says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. He's forgetting what lies behind. He's straining forward for what lies ahead. What do these words mean? The word press has, has a word, is a word of a great intensity. A couple of uh, illustrations I could give you of this is light. One of them is light. You know, in this room we have bulbs all throughout and some of them are out maybe you know but uh, uh i think they're all working and so we have these bulbs and what light does and i'm not an expert in this but what i understand light spreads the, the rays of the light just spread out some are more focused than others but basically they spread out but when you put them together in a laser it can become very very powerful and it's intense it's just together and it's boring and uh, into something. You, you can see that on the, on the secret agent kind, kind of movies, TV shows, you know, they, they cut off an arm or they cut off uh, clothing or whatever and they barely get stretched because why? The intensity of the light is such that it's so powerful that it can actually cut into things. Same rays of light, it's just focused in a different way. Now, Paul says, I'm not going to spread out my focus. I'm not going to spread out my passions in life. I'm going to have one passion, one heart for life, and that heart is going to be for God. We find another place in the Bible where this same Greek word is used in Acts when Paul was persecuting the church. 
And it means the word intensity to a point of pounding something. Pounding. He was pounding the church. He was taking all of his focus, everything about himself, gathering himself up to persecute, pound the church. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he says, because Jesus Christ made us his own. He did it for us. He is the one who set the stage. He brought himself together and intensely, like a laser focus, he pounded his own body on the cross to die for us. And Paul says, hey, look, as Jesus Christ pounded himself on the cross, I pound myself. I intensify myself. I want Jesus Christ in my life. I want to know him and the power of resurrection. And I count everything else but loss for this. I remember a movie several years ago called, um, uh, well, Billy Crystal was in it. It was called City Slickers. How many of you remember that movie? I mean, it's an old one. You're telling on yourself. Okay, you've seen it maybe um, on reruns. But Billy Crystal was, and his two friends were going to this, went to this dude ranch, dude ranch, and they were riding along with the cowboy and the host, I guess, of the, of the, uh, of the dude ranch, and it was played by Jack Palance. And um, they were talking, and they, Billy Crystal asked him, he says, uh, Jack, or he didn't call him that, but he asked that character, he says, what is the main um, deal in life what is the main focus to make yourself really content and successful? And he held up his finger. And I remember Billy Crystal said, what, your finger? And he says, no, one thing. Find your one thing and give it everything you've got. People do that. Most of us, not all of us, but most of us probably do that. I was reading a, a, a friend of mine gave me an article for, about another pastor years ago. This is 20 years back. He had just taken over a very large church, um, not in this town, but in another town. Um, in fact, not in, really in central Florida, but he was taking over this church, and a whole newspaper article was written about him, and all he could talk about was golf. And he finally just said, yeah, golf is my passion in life. I was talking to another guy, and he says, running's my passion. Another, oh, bicycling is my passion. This is my passion in life. And I know people can mean different things, but what they're saying is, when, when, if I had a choice of doing anything else, that's what I would be doing. When I'm thinking to myself, you know, my mind is blank, I have, don't have anything, I have to escape somewhere, I'd think about golf, I'd think about running, I'd think about other things. And Paul is saying here, look, don't make running your passion. Don't make golf your passion. Don't make the things around you and your business the passion. Make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, and make him the passion of your life. That's what he's saying. My focus, my intent, laser beam type focus is on Jesus Christ. And listen, he's not saying, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to lock myself in, in this room here in prison, and I'm not going to do anything but read the Bible. That's not what he's saying. Though he did a lot of reading of the Bible and wrote uh, many books in the New Testament. He went out into the courtyard and still preached the gospel. He taught people. He was training people out there. He could go out at this time in this particular imprisonment. He could go out and do that. He was doing other things. Not that he wasn't witnessing. Not that he wasn't preaching the Bible. It's not that he wasn't trying to disciple other people. But those were other things. It's sort of like if, if you can imagine uh, yourself so unfocused in life. Look at your life as far as what you do. 
maybe many of you are business people. You're in a business world, you're in a corporate world, you own your own business, and so you have that. But you decide to yourself, I don't want to focus just on one thing. And so I not only want to be a businessman, but I want to be a doctor also. I'm going to be an emergency room doctor, but I'm still going to have my business. And I want to, I want to help people in law. I'm going to be a lawyer too. And I'm going to preach on the weekends. And so all of a sudden now you have four different careers. And you say, well, how, how are you going to do that? You're not going to do that. You're going to fail at all four of them and live a stressed out life. It's not that Paul was not doing other things, even with our own life. It's not that we don't have a family. It's not that we don't spend time with our family. It's not that we don't go to work and make a living for our family. It's not that we don't have hobbies on the side, but the laser focus of our life, everything built around the hub of everything is Jesus Christ. And to know him, know him in an intimate way so I can trust him in my life. I can follow him in my life. I can have that peace in my life, that joy in my life, even in the midst of circumstances. That's what Paul is talking about. The more we know Christ, the greater our victory in life. So where's that laser focus? He says, look, what you need to do is do that one thing. How do you do it? You do the one thing. You decide on what, what is your one thing today? You say, well, it's, it's really not Christ. Would you like it to be? It's hard for you if you're in a one to 10 scale and you're down here at two or three or four and you're not passionate for God and you're coming to church to try to get fed maybe a little bit and get challenged. It's hard to get to a nine or a 10. What would you like to be? Where would you really like to be in your Christian walk? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have consistent answers to prayer. Wouldn't it be wonderful that even when God says, wait, you say, yeah, I've waited before, I'll wait again. How much would it be if all the things that are going on, the pandemic going on, all the tensions in this world going on, and, and everything that goes with it, you can say, no, I, I can trust God with my life. It may not turn out to make my circumstances better, but I can trust God with my life knowing he's going to make my life all that can be, a passion for him. And he says, look, in verse 16, i got to skip over some verses here. He says, hold true that what you have attained. He says, what you're doing now, what you know to do, do it. I mean, you know that you need to attend church, whether here or online. You know you need to be fed. You know you need to be where the word of God is preached. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, I think I can maybe do without church. Now, you can't. It happens so gradually that you get away from God a little bit at a time, almost to where like watching grass grow, but pretty soon you notice your grass is high. In fact, it's turned into weeds. It's dying. And you're wondering, what in the world happened? What in the world happened to my life? And somebody says, well, you, you, quit, you, you quit going to church. You quit getting fed on the word of God. You, kept, you, you, you uh, stopped worshiping the Lord. Oh, that couldn't be it. But we do. And we need to read the Bible. Read the Bible every day. I'm not going to challenge it necessarily today to read through the entire Bible. Some of you uh, have, are doing that. And I think that's very commendable. That's very wonderful. But what about a chapter a day? What about just starting in the New Testament? Say, as much as in me is, I'm going to read a chapter a day. I, I may miss a day or two, but my intensity here 
is to pursue Christ. And even though maybe the desire is not there the way it is with Paul, you can say, Lord, you're building a desire as I read the word of God and as I obey you. And then he talks about being with other people. Look in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, look, you imitate us as we walk with God. You find some people in your life that have a passion for Jesus Christ, and you follow them. Impression leads to expression. I remember one of my kids going off to a baseball camp and had all these athletes there, and they were talking about their testimonies. He's about seventh grade. He came away on fire for Jesus. Why? He was impressed with those individuals, and he watched their life and saw what was making a difference in their life and he wanted that same difference. Some of our young people, some of our, our children are going off uh, to the wayside. We're, we're praying for them to bring them back in. What happened? We said, well, I, I felt like I did everything right. But they got out into the world. They were impressed with a professor. They were impressed with a ball player. They were impressed by a singer they were, or a celebrity. They were impressed with a group of friends in college. An impression, according, again, Kevin Cosby quote, impression leads to expression. And so be around people and be impressed with people that have a special walk with God and then finally don't quit. He says in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, stand firm. The road to life is dotted with many parking places. And he's saying, look, it's not that you don't quit, ever quit your job. It's not that you don't ever quit this over here or get on, get on a new horse over here. No, don't quit your Christian life because sometimes life is just so discouraging and you get, you get hit and knocked off your spiritual balance. He said, it's so important to know Christ so you will be able to trust him even in the midst of adversity. The last verse to that song I've quoted just a few moments ago said, life has been patiently waiting for me and I know there's no guarantees, but I know I'm not alone. There comes a time in everyone's life when all you can see are the years passing by and I've made up my mind that those days are gone. I'm moving on. Let's move on in 2021, but let's move on differently than what we've ever been before. Where is your passion? Where is it? That's going to determine your joy. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Just for a moment, I want to talk to the individual Christians in this room and also by way of video. I'd just like to ask you, where is your passion? And if you're sitting here today and saying, I'm not sure if it's really Jesus Christ and you're thinking, wow, I don't know if reading the Bible every day, committing to going to church uh, every week when, when I'm in town or watching it when I'm not. I, I don't know those activities I can follow through on. I don't know if I have the, a great enough desire. Well, let me ask you this. Do you want to have that desire? I don't know if I have the desire that Paul had, but I want it. I'm willing to pray for it. I want God to do a work in my life to where he will not just be first place, but I will be excited about him being first place. And he will help me to handle any adversity in life. Do you share that prayer with me today? With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you feel like Christ 
is in first place or you want to make him your passion in life today or you're praying to God, God, he's not my passion. Would you make him my passion? Would you lead me to that? If that's your prayer today, one of those three things, would you lift up your hand as a testimony before God? That's my prayer, God. That's my prayer that you would help me get to that point if I'm not there already. All right, thank you. Now for those who have never received Christ, would you pray with me right now to become a follower of him? If that's the prayer of your heart, pray with me now. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for me to make you, make me your own. And I pray God that you would forgive me of all my sin and help me to walk with you and know you and the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.